0: Uh, We can either strive to impress God or others to prove that we are worthy. Or if we know that God loves us truly without condition, we can still want to give our best to our lives, our families, uh, the work that we're called to. But it doesn't have to come out of a place of anxiously needing to prove that I am enough, that I'm worthy, but out of a deep place of gratitude and joy and, and peace and inner rest that comes from knowing that. We are not only accepted, but cherished in the eyes of the one who matters most. And, and that's what love can do. It can, it can uh, heal us of shame and then help us to make our contribution to the world out of a place of rest, contentment and joy.
1: Welcome to the Spirit Empowered Leader Podcast, Resurgence Initiatives Podcast. Our heart is to see a movement of leaders released in all spheres of society, empowered by the holy spirit never before has there been such a need for good leadership we're on a journey to be equipped encouraged and empowered join our conversations as we talk spirit empowered leadership and see god's kingdom at work through god's people everywhere they go
2: hello everyone and welcome to the spirit empowered leader podcast my name is donovan Bayer and i'm here with travis Helonia. we're from resurgence and uh yeah, this podcast is all about what it looks like to be a leader who's led by God's spirit. It's a journey of discovering in all areas of our lives, in all different walks of life, how do we lead um, by the spirit, by his power, by his strength? Um how are you doing today, Travis?
3: I'm doing really good. Uh, I'm excited we're season 2 and uh this just honestly I was like, "Podcast? Do you want to do a podcast? Really?" <laughs> And we're in season two, and uh, we're excited, the guests we have today, but um, yeah, we're going to talk a bunch of different topics on leadership, um, Mm -hmm. kind of about rhythms, and and also one of the things we'll talk about is shame. And um, Mm -hmm. it's interesting how shame, you know, we have guilt, shame, all these things that can kind of... um, Talk to us as leaders. Uh, shame talks, mm-hmm. and I don't know about you, but I—you can hear the voice of shame. It's like you're not enough. You're not good enough. You—who do you think you are to speak in front of these people or to accomplish that dream? Or you know, and sometimes it's that—that that voice of you just—you're just, you're not enough. That there's something wrong, mm-hmm. and, and um and it's interesting. You know, we've had a lot of talk and culture about shame. Brene Brown has had books talking about shame and. And I think different cultures deal with the shame and honor and fear-based cultures. And uh, I think it's so important as a leader to to um, mm. deal with our shame and figure out, is that from God? Is it where, where is this coming from? What is the lies that we're believing? And Donovan, how, how have you mm. navigated shame as a leader?
2: Well, it's huge as a leader. If you're leading from a place of shame, there's like things like comparison, things like fear, things like... Um, even control oh, yeah. can all be manifest out of that place of shame, and so if you're leading people, but you've got this voice of shame in your life, then all of a sudden you're like, "Where are you leading people to? How are you leading them?" Uh, it, it's it's really hard to be consistent in your walk with uh, in your walk with God when you're when you're dealing with shame, and then how much more that trickles down to people you're leading. It's it's wild, um, but I know for me personally, the way that shame kind of manifested itself, and I realized this, oh, I was probably my mid twenties, but like. I had this fundamental lie that I was believing that I would never be enough that I could not do enough good you know if you want to listen back to season one I share my testimony in episode two and and so I dealt with this almost like guilt of the fact that I didn't die in the accident that I had and I had this shame that said you know I shouldn't be alive like I'm not doing enough good because of because I should have just died it was just and again it sounds so irrational to say but that's what shame does it just it keeps you in that place of like unbelief and lies um but yeah like the way it manifested for me was i i kind of had this idea that when i got to a certain point in my walk with jesus then i would be good you know but what i realized is that that point was always moving and always forward so i'd get like i'd grow in one area but then it'd be a different thing or i'd grow it'd be another thing it was like this finish line that never was a finish line it was always Like, oh, it's just the next thing or just the next thing. And that whole um, shame mentality, it, it kept me in this performance mode where I couldn't be honest about my struggles. I couldn't be open with people about the things I was walking through. And it kept me in bondage for a long time, but the Lord really uh, has been setting me free from it. It wasn't like a one time kind of encounter where all of a sudden I was set free, but it's knowing his love, growing in his love over over the season. And and even just being aware of it has really helped me to, uh, to not lead from that place and to not live from that place. And honestly, like shame is it's a killer. And so I'm really glad it's something that we're going to be addressing today uh, with somebody who's walked through it, but also helped walk others through it.
3: Yeah, yeah, really excited today about um, our guest. And our guest I met many years ago, and the other day I was flipping through TV, and he was on Christian TV. I mean, he's doing a teaching, mm-hmm. and he's on all this week. Cool. And and uh, he, he won't say this. I know he's not going to say it. But he's he's got three books out, and he speaks at conferences all over the world. I remember years ago at a conference, him walking around, mm-hmm. he was one of the guest speakers. He speaks he speaks all over, and um, we're really honored to have him. And um, I, I met him, Donovan, mm-hmm. um, because he works with my brother in Vancouver, and uh, I was I was mm-hmm. there one Christmas, and I was I was new in. In hearing God's voice I was like I know God you speak and I know that I can hear your voice for myself but I was really kind of pushing myself on this whole you know spirit empowered going how do I hear the voice of God for others what does it sound like does it sound Mm -hmm. like the pizza I had last night does it sound like the devil like how do I know God it's you speaking (laughs) I I, honestly and I was there one Christmas I wasn't thinking about you know anything other than being there with my brother for Christmas and this pastor gets up to speak, and he gets mm. up, and I just felt this little voice saying, he's going to write a book. You should go tell him that. And I'm like, I don't mm. want to go tell him that. <laughs> he doesn't. So, like, I think I even Googled, does he have any book? No, no book. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. And so, I honestly, like, pushed myself out mm. of my comfort zone one of the first times. And I and I go up to him, and I said, hey, I'm Jade's brother. And, you know, he's very nice and very nice and got to, you know, ask me a few questions. I said, You know, as I was sitting there, I just felt the Lord saying, you're going to write a book and it's going to impact many people. And he honestly, Mm -hmm. he said, you know, thanks. Um, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, My wife is a publisher. And so maybe you mean her. And she's working on a book. And, and so he kind of dismissed it. Mm-hmm. And I was a little bit like, Oh, I got it wrong. Like, I mm-hmm. guess he's not writing a book. I guess I got it wrong. And and I, and I just was fine. I mm-hmm. told my brother about it and he goes, yeah, interesting. I, you know, just kind of left it. Like, what do you do? Um, guess it yeah. didn't resonate. And maybe a couple of years later, I got a call from my brother and he goes, I just read the draft of Ken's book, God and my everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he goes. You remember that you prayed over him, and so that for me, more wow. than Ken, I don't think he would, you know, remember that. But it was it was more for me going. I heard God, and God can speak to us, and it was just that that reminder yeah. that God's Spirit speaks to us. And so I, I'm I'm really happy to just yeah. interview him today because it's it's cool to see how his books have sold mm-hmm. so much, how he's impacted world mm-hmm. vision through the sales of his books. Um, he's a global thinker. Mm-hmm. He's a part of different boards. He's taught, I know, at Arrow and and different things. But he he Mm -hmm. transitioned from Sony Corporation. And um, (laughs) it's cool to see how God is using him so powerfully.
2: Well, and one of the, just before we hop on the interview, one of the things that your story even makes me think about back to do with shame was, like, if you were living out of a place of shame and you had kind of shared that and he had that response, that could have, like, shut you down. Because that's the sort of way that shame leads. You know, you step out and you do something, It doesn't go the way you're anticipating in the moment. And shame would say, I'm not going to do that again. I don't want to get rejected again. Or, oh, maybe I didn't hear God right, so I can't hear God. Like, that's the -hmm. voice of shame. And so it's cool how you didn't let that Um, kind of become the voice that you live by. Um, The amazing thing is how God used it all in in the big picture and how, yes, it was an affirmation of your hearing God's voice eventually, but in the moment, it would have been really easy to fall into shame. Um, But yeah, again, I'm I'm glad we're unpacking this today because it's such a deep and big issue. (laughs) Totally.
3: Well, let's jump into our interview. Well, we are excited today to have Ken Shigematsu with us from Vancouver, B.C., uh, Ken is the lead pastor, senior pastor of 10th Avenue Church, um, and I've known Ken for about almost 20 years. He, My brother has the privilege and honor of serving with Ken, and, uh, and Ken is an author of three books. There's probably more in the works, and uh, just, just an incredible communicator, uh, incredible uh, man of God that God has used, and I've heard him preach a lot, and we're just really excited to have him on the Spirit Empowered Leader today. Uh, Ken, so so thankful to have you.
0: Thanks, Travis. It's great to be with, with you and Donovan. Yeah,
3: why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit more about, about yourself? Um, I did a, the, little, the little intro, but tell us about your wife and, and son. And, and I know you have, a, I think, a golden retriever. Uh,
0: yes, uh, I'm originally from, from Japan, but uh, moved to Canada when I was a young boy, almost eight years of age. And when I was in my 20s, I worked for the Sony Corporation in Tokyo and and met a young woman named Sakiko and um, we didn't date right away. I thought one of our mutual friends was romantically interested in her. So I didn't make a move. And uh, years later, I discovered that I had misread that I was projecting my own attraction to Sakiko on him. And so uh, we started dating at a distance. and, and uh, uh, got married uh, a little over 20 years ago. Uh, we've got a son named Joey, who is uh, in grade 10, and he likes robotics. And uh, we enjoy um, spending time at the beach together and cycling and, and and running. And we've also got a golden retriever named Sasha, as you mentioned, who loves the forest and loves the beach as well.
2: Hmm. That's cool. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit just about your uh, your church and like what what uh, what's bringing you joy these days in ministry.
0: Yeah, our our church, uh, as uh, Travis mentioned, is called Tenth uh, Avenue Church, and I was called here about twenty seven years ago. Uh, I wasn't mm-hmm. sure whether or not uh, I was to pursue a vocation in the corporate world or to pursue a a location in pastoral ministry so i spent about five days fasting and praying during a time of, of seeking god for discernment and the words uh, 10th avenue alliance church came really clearly to mind on the third day i had no formal connection with the church and then on the fifth day of the fast the word senior pastor came to mind again no connection with the church mm. and uh, i was 29 at the time i Visited the church on a Sunday morning, and as I looked out at the congregation, it seemed to me that the church was was mostly composed of white senior citizens. Nothing wrong with that, but you know, as a 29 year old person of Asian ancestry, I felt I was too young, uh, I was uh, too Asian <laughs> in appearance, and at the time single, uh, I just didn't think it was the the, the right fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I met with a pastor afterwards, and. He confided in me that the church had cycled through 20 ministers in 20 years and he himself was thinking about moving on and uh, mm. i put my name in a hat of applicants never told the search committee of this sense of being led perhaps by the spirit i figured it would be confirmed by god without my having to tell them and about eight months later i was called and the church has is mm. re emerged as a multicultural now multi-site church and what i am most grateful for, what brings me most joy is seeing people come to know Jesus and having their, their lives uh, transformed by him. I'm thinking of a woman who was recently baptized, who was raised on the downtown east side, which is the, the, the poorest area in Canada in terms of uh, postal code. And uh, she, as an adult, was quite accomplished, graduated from UBC, uh, had a successful career as a pharmacist. Was married, had kids, even owned a home in Vancouver, which is a minor miracle here in in an expensive city, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, but suffered with this very um, significant depression that cognitive behavior therapy couldn't overcome, or gratitude practices, uh, yoga. um, And she met Christ, and Christ began to give her joy and a sense of wholeness. And so when I see lives change by Christ, that brings me a lot of joy. It feels like a privilege to bear witness to that. Hmm.
3: Awesome. Mm That's amazing. And uh, that's, that's why you do what you do, isn't it? And, uh, and we've been, we've been um, kind of talking uh, spirit empowered leadership and how God leads us tonight, you kind of shared a little bit about that. But I'd like to kind of hear a little more of your story. Um, because there there's, you know, how you stepped into that and how you okay, God, you know, evolved you as a leader and grown you as a leader and to lead. You have multiple campuses. The impact in Vancouver throughout the years has been incredible. Um, but that doesn't just happen. You don't work up, you know, born a leader. Uh, it's not innate. It's learned as as we as we learn it. And so I'd like to just kind of see some more, what are some more kind of road stops along your journey of growing into the leader that you are today and as like God has led you?
0: Yeah, I came to know Christ as a teenager, I was involved in shoplifting and in joyriding, borrowing cars that were being worked on at the local repair shop and doing some small time drug dealing. I wasn't especially successful as a drug dealer in high school. <laughs> um, and my father was concerned about me, took me on a little field trip to a local prison, said, I just wanted you to see your future home. Uh have hmm. uh, paid courtesy of my tax dollars. <laughs> and that didn't scare me straight. So he himself had recently come to know Jesus and took me to a Christian youth conference here in Vancouver. And I heard the good mm-hmm. news about what Christ had done for us on the cross and felt I needed a new direction in life and, and Christ powerfully changed my life. So when I was in high school as a, a new Christian in in, in um, 10th grade, our youth pastor felt a call to go to Guinea, Africa to serve as a missionary. So our, our youth group of about 30 or so kids didn't have any youth leader. And so I stepped in, I I had no real leadership experience other than um, maybe on a sports team uh, and uh, began to help organize the youth group, did a little teaching, it wasn't especially good. But I found that as I stepped out, took a risk, um, looked to meet a need that the spirit of God was there and in some small ways brought fruit and and certainly joy. And so that was was a beginning point. another example where i felt i grew in some spirit empowered leadership occurred when i was working for sony i was attending a small church in japan on the northeast side Mm. of tokyo there might have been 30 people on a sunday morning which is a a fairly average sized church in japan our pastor was about 80 years of age and he knew that i was entertaining the possibility of maybe one day going to seminary and becoming a pastor So he said, I need a break from preaching, I'm 80, why don't you preach for me Uh, on Sunday? And Mm. and I did, I had never been to seminary and that went okay. And then the next month, I think he asked me to preach twice. And then the next month, I think he started asking me to preach three times. (laughs) And so I was getting experience, Uh, it was scary, but the spirit was there. And then as Christmas rolled around that first year, my roommate who was a Christian and a prep school teacher asked me if I wanted to co-lead a Christmas outreach for his students at the prep school, for some folks that I work with at Sony. And I said, I think that's a great idea. And he said, here's the deal. I will organize it if you preach. And I said, you have have far more public speaking experience than I do. Uh, I've only spoken a handful of times. And I asked, well, why should I preach and not you? And he said, because you remind me of Robert Schuller." Robert Schuller, um, mm. I think back in the 80s uh, and 90s, was this very upbeat, positive thinking preacher, kind of the equivalent of Joel Olstein today. And my roommate also said, besides, I think you'll look, look good in a, in a blue choir robe as you preach like, like um, Reverend Schuller. So I reluctantly agreed. And, and so we made some invitations and, and gave them out to uh, his students and some of mm. my friends at Sony and to our surprise, Um, The chapel was filled. It was about 50 people. It was a tiny chapel. And before the service, my roommate approached me and said, look, my students are here um, just to get the mood of Christmas. Um, Mm -hmm. They just want to hear some Christmas carols. They've never been to church before. So whatever you do, do not try to convert them. But as I looked out at the audience, I realized that these kids have never been to church before. My friends were not Mm -hmm. churchgoers who were present. And I thought at the end of the night, I've got to answer to my roommate, but at the end of my life, I've got to answer to God. And so I went in a different direction. I began talking about how I enjoyed Christmas in Canada, anticipating the presents, sometimes experiencing a a white Christmas, not very often, but sometimes. And then uh, I tried to zero in on the true meaning of Christmas. I said, for you students, Mm -hmm. come February, you will be facing the biggest exam of your life your university entrance exams, which will determine where you go to school and the whole trajectory of your career. But at the end of your life, you'll face an, an even more important exam, an exam that will determine whether you will live forever with God or not. And I said, in order to pass this exam, you've got to ace it. You've got to get 100%. None of us can do that. But the reason we celebrate Christmas is because God became a human being that first Christmas, lived a perfect life, took the exam for us, aced it, and if we give our lives to him, we can hmm. enter into heaven one day and enjoy God now. And then uh, I did something that freaked out my roommate. I said, bow your head, close your eyes. If you want to give your lives to Jesus, uh, raise your hand. Hmm. And about 15 kids raised their hand. Hmm. And I thought, this can't be yeah. happening in, in, in Japan because missionaries have told me people basically don't convert. So I said,
1: close your eyes,
0: hmm. uh, put down your hands. Uh, I, I, I haven't explained this properly. If you give your life to Christ, your life will be harder, not easier. You may be disowned by your parents for um, following the way of Jesus. Mm. Um, This is going to be difficult, not easy. Um, And I said, now, if you want to give your lives to Christ, raise your hand. And instead of 15 people raising their hands, 20 kids raised their hands. We had an instant youth group, and uh, some of those kids went Hmm. into eventually full-time vocational Christian ministry. Not that that's necessarily more significant than other kinds of work, but I look back as an inexperienced, intimidated person giving a very simple, not so great sermon, but the spirit moved. And, and so that showed me that even if I don't feel qualified, even if I feel afraid, if I sense God calling me into something, God will be faithful. God will be there.
3: So so in your journey, you then you took this role at, at 10th, you know, God had led you there. That d- describe some of that, because that's not easy, you know, taking over a church that um is probably it wasn't at its height was was at a, a kind of a low point of 20 pastors um you could have easily been number 21 um but you've stayed there you're still there and god god the spirit really led you there but then what what did the how did you see the spirit after that moment not just lead you there but then kind of keep you there and give you the the kind of the perseverance but also Um, the ability to kind of turn the ship around and and see what God wanted to do in Vancouver and through 10th.
0: Yeah, I was feeling very daunted in those first days. And um, Mm -hmm. a secretary walked into my office uh, during the first week, I think it was, and um, walked over to me and she was aware of all the pastors that had cycled through across the years. And she was also aware that the church had gone from over a thousand in its heyday back in the fifties to a hundred and something. And that the leadership had considered closing the doors of the church, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And she approached me in my office and said, Ken, if the ship sinks now, meaning the church, everyone will blame you because you were the last captain at the (laughs) helm. She was trying to motivate me to work harder. I just felt really depressed. And right around (laughs) that time, my mentor, Leighton Ford, a Christian leader originally from Ontario, from Toronto, uh, happened to be in town. He's uh, the brother-in-law to the late Billy Graham and I was feeling very low, very discouraged. And we were sitting in my car outside the church. I wanted to ask him, Layton encouraged me, but I just felt that would be too pathetic to ask for. And so I said instead, could you give me some counsel? And so he crossed his long legs on the passenger side of the car, touched his chin, and he said, remember that God is an artist. He will not lead you to copy anyone else. So seek God for a unique vision for this place. So I took those words to heart and began seeking God for a unique vision, called on others to do the same. I definitely did not feel like I had the gifts or the leadership to turn the ship around to use your expression, Travis. But a few times while I was praying, I sensed the Spirit saying, if you will bless those who cannot repay you, I will bless you. The church was you know, very much a middle-class church. And then a homeless person named Robert started sleeping outside the church building. One of our elders took Robert to his laneway house. It's like a garage converted into a home and said, Robert, you can live here as long as you want, free of charge, the rest of your life if you want. It's a beautiful laneway house. But Robert kept gravitating back toward the church, preferring to sleep outside the building. And on a cold February morning, he succumbed to the elements and died. And I thought, Mm. we need to care for the poor we need to house the homeless. And so we started an an overnight shelter ministry, a feeding ministry that has since evolved to helping people that are unemployed and in some cases homeless get sustainable work. And as I look back, the spirit began to move and draw people of all kinds of backgrounds, not just the poor, but artists, actors, uh, business Mm -hmm. professionals, uh, students, um, single folks, single mothers to Christ. And so that move of the spirit was really powerful. You asked what sustained me. Um, I was working crazy hours um, during my my first years at 10th. In fact, I was working so many late hours that uh, I um, was visiting the drive-by window at Wendy's, the, the, the takeout window, at midnight so often that the person started to recognize me. And during this crazy time, Leighton Ford, whom I mentioned, my mentor, invited me to join him on a pilgrimage to the holy places of Ireland. Ireland is not the old country for me. I'm from Japan originally, as I've mentioned. But we ended up visiting the ancient monasteries of Ireland and learning from the monks about a way of life that they describe as a rule of life that enables them to experience God as alive and real, not just when they are praying in a chapel, but as they are working out in a field, to experience God as they are studying in a library, to experience God as they're preparing a meal in a kitchen. And I was really hungry to experience God as alive and real in each part of my life. And so when I got back to Vancouver, I began to put into practice some of the habits I learned from the monks, like keeping a Sabbath, like uh, time for solitude silence and what um, Father Thomas Keating calls centering prayer. And some of these uh, practices went on to change my life. And as I look back now over 27 years have sustained me in um, the the ups and downs of, of life in vocational pastoral ministry.
2: That's really cool. And and one of the one of the cool things I noticed in your story is just how people noticed the gift in you and they called it out and gave you opportunities. And uh, I know one of the things that we're really trying to foster within within just how we lead and I'm sure many that are listening is is being able to do that for others. So I'm just curious how do you how how do you help walk alongside those people that God's put in your midst to help call those gifts out?
0: Yeah, I think part of it is is simply uh, observing, having eyes to see, and then, um, giving people an opportunity to, uh, experiment with potential latent gifts. Uh, I remember, mm-hmm. um, one of our interns years ago, uh, getting up to help lead a service. And, uh, this person was obviously not feeling comfortable on the stage, uh, was, was stuttering, <laughs> uh, but made it through the announcements. And, uh, we gave this person more opportunities, and he became more confident. And and today, he's just a fine leader in all kinds of ways, including his his um, his public presence. So I think um, mm. observing people, giving them an opportunity, coming alongside them, sometimes giving them constructive feedback, and and then affirmation mm. to affirm affirm their gifts helps grow someone.
2: Yeah, I know uh, you've written a, a book on that, and I just was so blessed by by what you wrote in that book, uh, God of My Everything. And yeah, I'm just curious, could you just elaborate a little bit on just some of the key invitations, especially for people? I know a lot of people listening to this podcast, they might feel like they're just so busy and overwhelmed, and um, but these practices are so important in sustaining in and in they're in key like giving life really like they're they're necessary. And so, yeah, what are some of the ways that you were able to incorporate these practices into your busy life? And then if there's even a few learnings from the book that you'd want to share with us, I'd love to to hear a little bit and learn a little bit.
0: Yeah, the the irony is that the busier you are and the more demanding your life is, the more something like the gift of Sabbath, which ideally is a 24 hour period where you stop working Mm -hmm. uh, is is more life giving than ever. Also, if you tend to be Mm -hmm. a workaholic and like me, tend to define your worth by what you do and what you accomplish. Sabbath is especially life-giving. Sabbath ideally is, to to quote Abraham Joshua Heschel, is a palace in time where we delight in God, life itself, find joy in life, uh, and in the most Mm -hmm. important people of our lives. And so Sabbath has really been sustaining for me um and if you keep a sabbath you'll find you have more energy for the week not that that's necessarily the purpose and uh studies of the blue zones where uh, people live to age 100 and beyond at a greater rate than anywhere else in the world suggest that sabbath might increase your lifespan again that's not the goal if you believe in Jesus obviously to live as long as possible on this earth but uh the time will probably come back to you and then in terms of taking time for silence and just soaking in God's presence and meditating on the scripture. Again, uh, people may feel that they're too busy for that, but I find that when I am facing an ordinary day, maybe 20 or 30 minutes of just silence is enough. But if I'm facing an unusually busy day, or I've got a crucial conversation, a big decision to make, or I'm going to Uh, be in a situation where I realize that the heat in the room, the temperature in a manner of speaking is going to get turned up on a hot issue. Uh, I need 50 minutes, an hour of silence and that silence will Mm. relax me. It'll fill me with more energy, more peace, more joy Mm. and and more courage and, 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 um, ferocity if that's what's needed, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, bit of a paradox but uh, the busier we are the more these practices are needed and the more life-giving they are
3: and and i uh, remember you sharing this and i've I've stuck this image hasn't left and in reading your book about the trellis Mm. and how like in the garden there's that trellis that keeps the plants sustained and i've seen you at conferences walking around with your trellis and um, just that reminder of that for me has been just so helpful of, of fasting and prayer and some of those things that because I find when when life gets crazy, um, it feels like there, there's if I don't have any of those practices in place then there's nothing to fall back. And sometimes even going, hey, we have, we have the Holy Spirit and we have God and we have, th- those are all, we can be like, oh, that's great. God is with us. Who can be against us? And all these great, you know, verses and mm-hmm. sayings we have. Um, but I do find in the craziness of life and the burdens of even carrying other people's burdens and whatever we're leading, there's these moments where um, if we don't have something to fall back on, a trellis, a rhythm, um, it, can, it can just snowball, it can, it can kind of get away from mm-hmm. us. Th- do you find that, is that kind of?
0: Yeah, that's, that's really helpful, Travis. So uh, in God Am I Everything in the book, I, I point out that uh, the phrase rule of life can be a little scary for folks that don't like the word rule. Mm-hmm. But many scholars mm-hmm. believe that one of the original root meanings of the word rule is trellis. And, and a trellis is simply a structure that supports a grapevine or some kind of plant, enabling it to stay off the ground and receive more sunlight to be pruned and guided in its growth. So that grapevine bears better grapes, better fruit, and therefore produces better wine. And a rule of life is simply a trellis. It's, it's a support structure that supports our life with God so that we're experiencing more sunlight, the sunlight of God in our life, so to speak so that our lives are being pruned and, and and guided so that we bear more of the fruit of God's spirit, more of his love, joy, and peace. And mm-hmm. I certainly want and desperately need more of that. And, and so think of a rule of life as simply a, a way of life, a rhythm of life that acts as a trellis that supports our life with God. For me, it's practices, as I mentioned, like Sabbath, uh, physical exercise, which is also life-giving for me, Uh, silence those would be some of the the rhythms of my own practice of my own rule of life that acts as a trellis supporting my my Mm -hmm. life with god
2: Uh, it's really cool and i'm just i'm just curious how like practically how did you incorporate that into your life especially in that season when you were saying kind of right after you had this experience in ireland you came back you learned all this like did you kind of have this is something i want to do every week this is something i want to do every day like was it really structured or was it less. So I'm just thinking practically, how did how did you incorporate that into your busy life?
0: Yeah, so um, it was was gradual. So I think that I began Mm -hmm. with uh, Sabbath, uh, partly because of uh, the experience of Ireland, but partly because I had a professor that was visiting me from my uh, days at seminary named Haddon Robinson, and he spoke and he's, Mm -hmm. he's a very gifted preacher. And afterwards, we had lunch and he looked at me and said, Let me give you some unsolicited advice. Take a day off. <laughs> take take yeah. a day uh, off you know, once a week. Take a day off. So that was that was part of it. And uh, at first, um, because I was used to working all the time, I felt kind of jittery on my mm. day off, thinking oh, I ought to be doing this or that. Uh, but slowly, my mm. body came to adjust to the the weekly rhythm of rest and look forward to it. And now it's the favorite day of my week. And um, mm. and then I gradually started to practice silence. And at first. It felt like there were 135 monkeys jumping around in my head, and it took a while for those monkeys to still to this day. I can be easily distracted, but it's easier for Mm -hmm. me to enter into that place of peace and connection, having having done this for for a number of years. So it was through a process of trial and error and experimentation and adaptation. But these Mm -hmm. practices have have really sustained my life with God, have helped guard my habits and uh, guide my life. And thanks for sharing.
3: Oh, so so good. And uh, just as you're talking, I'm reminded too. You know, um, something I've heard you talk on, and you have a book about this as well. But one of the things that cripples leaders a lot that we're seeing, and one of the aspects as us as a ministry has been wholeheartedness. And how how is your heart healthy? How is your how has Jesus and the Spirit healed your heart? And one of those things that cripples leaders a lot is shame and and dealing with shame and i wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about that journey of, of shame and how you have how the holy spirit has kind of led you and healed your heart healing your heart i think it's a process and kind of maybe maybe some wisdom that you've learned on just from the lord on on how how we can be free and be who god's called us to be truly
0: yeah uh i've recently written a book on Shame called Now I Become Myself, How Deep Grace Heals Our Shame and Restores Our True Self. And part of the reason I wrote it is because I observed that it's not just people who've been through trauma and abuse who feel like they're not quite enough, but very successful people also have these times where they feel like they're deficient in some way or not quite enough. And I know that I've, I've struggled with it. Um, I like to swim in the mornings and uh, I tend to be competitive. I'm not an especially fast swimmer. But if I notice someone out of the corner of my eye about to reach the wall ahead of me, I speed up. I'm sure they're not thinking about the same thing. But I, I figure if I can just touch the wall first, I'll feel a little better about myself. Um, I believe that the most powerful way to experience healing from our sense of not being enough, whether it relates to. Our, our work, or the way we relate to family, or our bodies, whatever, is is not through achievement and accomplishment, because we never know if we've quite done enough. Uh, it's not through the accumulation of material possessions or building a reputation that makes us feel seen as special. Because again, we, we never know if we've achieved quite enough or if our reputation is quite good enough. Uh, the most powerful way to experience healing from shame is by not only knowing in our head about but deeply experiencing the love of god and at the end of each of the chapters and now i become myself there are prayer practices that can help awaken us to god's love it sounds a little abstract so Mm -hmm. let me um, give a a specific example of what this has looked like in 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 my own life through the analogy of a human relationship Uh, i mentioned that leighton ford is is my uh, mentor i first got to know leighton when i enrolled in something called the arrow leadership program i was making the transition from the corporate world to the world of vocational christian ministry and i entered something called the arrow leadership program which helps to cultivate younger emerging leaders and i remember when the 25 of us met for the first time i was looking around the room and thinking i'm probably the youngest one here the least experienced the least accomplished in christian ministry um and, and someone pointed out, we're like fighter pilots in the movie Top Gun, the first Top Gun movie, where we're, um, we're, we're rivals. And uh, <laughs> I was feeling really insecure. Uh, I, I wondered if I belonged. And I wanted to prove to Leighton hmm. that he did not make a mistake in admitting me to this thing called the Our Leadership Program. And so there was a part <laughs> of me that wanted to go small. That's what shame does. Shame can cause us to shrink back and go small. And so I didn't want to raise my hand in class and say something stupid. But there was another part of me that wanted to go big and impress him. And shame can do that. It can make us either go small or go big and try and accomplish something to impress others or ourselves. And uh, Mm -hmm. the 25 of us were in front of a cliff, a 100 foot cliff one day, and it was supposed to be a team building exercise. But in my mind, I converted it into a competition. And I said to myself, (laughs) I'm going to try and clock the fastest time to the top to really impress Leighton and and, and, uh, these other people in the group to show them I belong. And this is what I discovered. Uh, Early on as a Christian minister, I stumbled and fell, got into a conflict with someone I was working with because of my own emotional immaturity and other kinds of, uh, I had other kinds of uh, failures. And this is what I learned through my failures, that that Leighton Ford's acceptance of me, was not dependent on my performance. His love for me was just there. And now um, mm-hmm. you know, more than 25 years later, the relationship with him has deepened. I feel more at home in my skin than ever before. In his presence, I can laugh easily in his presence, cry. I can just be myself. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I no longer wanna make something out of my life and life work in part to honor his investment in me but it no longer comes out of this anxious need to prove that I'm worthy or I'm enough. It comes out of a place of gratitude and rest and joy. And and, uh, so it is uh, in our relationship with God. uh, We can either strive to impress God or others to prove that we are worthy. Or if we know that God loves us truly without condition, we can still wanna give our best to our lives, our families, uh, the work that we're called to but it doesn't have to come out of a place of anxiously needing to prove that I am enough, that I'm worthy, but out of a deep place of gratitude and joy and peace and inner rest that comes from knowing that that we are not only accepted, but cherished in the eyes of the one who matters most. And and that's what love can do. It can, it can uh, heal us of shame and then help us to make our contribution to the world out of a place of rest, contentment enjoy
3: oh it's so so good and when i when i hear you talk i i'm reminded of you know the importance of identity mm-hmm. you know knowing we're not human we're human doings we're human mm-hmm. beings and we're created in the image of of god and, and there's that a reality where we can lose our identity we can lose it in what we do mm-hmm. we can become what we do and um, a number of years ago, I heard a U.S. Olympic runner and she talked about chasing the mist. And she says, you, you chase the mist to get the gold. You're trying to compete in the Olympics to get the gold. When you have the gold, then you're like, well, just when I get the gold, I'll be enough. And then you have to defend the gold. And so then you're forever defending the gold. And it's like never enough. Cause you're comparing, there's always this comparison. And, uh, can you talk about how comparison, I think comparison is one of those things that can limit and, and even the limit the Holy Spirit in our lives, limit what God wants to do, because we're looking at someone else's race. We're we're looking at someone else's life. Um, and, and that's connected to shame, isn't it?
0: Yeah, no, it certainly is. Uh, it can be connected to shame or a kind of uh, unhealthy pride and smugness. So if, if we compare ourselves to someone who we think we're superior to, that we're better than, then that's going to lead to unhealthy, uh, sinful pride. But we tend to compare ourselves to someone who's doing a little bit better than we are or a lot better. And that can lead to a sense that we're not quite enough. And so it's important to resist comparisons, maybe to, if not go off social media, to to limit our time because social media tends to foster those, 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 those comparisons. And then it's also really helpful when we compare ourselves to someone that we're tempted to envy and, and perhaps uh, as a result feel shame around because we feel like they're better than we are in some way. Uh, to uh, take Dietrich Bonhoeffer's counsel and, and pray for that person. Bonhoeffer said in Life Together, when I pray for someone, my enemy, their face is transformed into a countenance of a brother or sister for whom Christ died, I start to love that person and, and it's more difficult to envy. And then to try to bless that person in some way, I think that, that can be helpful. So uh, there was uh, someone that um, was uh, in, in in my uh, radar, uh, a fellow pastor who was very productive, it seemed to me, uh, both as a preacher, as a leader, and as a writer, and I, I envied his uh, productivity and the fact that he seemed to be getting so much more done than than than, than me. And so I, I read one of his books and uh, uh, gave him a five star review. It was def- definitely deserved; this. it wasn't just gratuitous. And it was interesting when I um, uh, hit submit on that review. I just felt a, a lightness of being that I didn't feel before. And so uh, I think to resist. Um, Comparisons is important, but to also pray, and and if we can bless our our rivals, that can lead us to a place of, as you say, greater wholeheartedness and can um, reduce the corrosive influence of of envy
2: that's cool I can uh, I can relate to your story quite a bit because I'm actually participating in arrow right now mm-hmm. and uh, I wish I could <laughs> I wish I could say that I didn't have similar experience at the beginning to you but <laughs> you know I kind of did and I realized it was really cool because the Holy Spirit highlighted it to me right away because I realized and the word that he kind of gave me was posturing. it's almost like mm-hmm. it's so easy to like posture like you want to put a certain face forward or like you're with all these these leaders and it's so easy when you're comparing you, you almost want to like, yeah yeah, like you said, you either want to go up or you want to like go down, make yourself small or big. and I, I definitely experienced a lot of those things right at the beginning of the the program. but and I, and I think this is something that leaders experience a lot, especially when they're with other leaders in that whole reality of like, yeah, it's comparison, it's um, it's trying to make yourself look good or sound better than you are, all of that. Um, I'm just curious like how, how you've talked about knowing you're loved, you've talked about knowing your identity. But just what are some of the ways practically that you, you kind of buck that trend, like where you can really lead out of who you are, not out of trying to make yourself look like something you're not for the sake of others? Like how, how have you found to be able to do that?
0: Yeah, first of all, um, I've been helped by the wisdom of Thomas Morton, who says that we are uh, by nature beings who feel invisible and so we try to wrap ourselves in in bandages to make ourselves visible bandages mm-hmm. of achievement or bandages of material mm-hmm. possessions or bandages of building a reputation. Wow. But when we try to establish our sense of self, our visibility through what we do, what we have and by what others think of us, we're living from a false self. And so I don't want to live from that false self, that, mm. that posturing, self, that projected self. So that 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 helps. And then second, um, given my own tendency to base my self-worth, my value in how I perform, in my time of silence and prayer, I I pray into these things. So recently I've been praying a prayer written by Thomas Akempis called A Litany of Humility, where he prays Mm. along these lines and I pray after him. From the desire to be esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From Hmm. the desire to be honored, deliver me, Jesus. And then from a slightly different angle, from the fear of being criticized, deliver Hmm. me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus from the fear of being calumniated, I didn't know what that word meant. I guess it's a, maybe an older word. So I looked it up in the dictionary. It means slandered. Deliver me, Jesus. And mm. so I realized that I cannot uh, effect on my own a transformation. I really need it. the power of the Spirit and the power of Jesus to deliver me from these things that I'm so uh, naturally prone to. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's tapping into the deepest desire to not live from a false projected self, but from who I really am. And then, and then praying that the, the spirit of Jesus would deliver me from um, these tendencies to mm-hmm. want to live from my false self for honor, uh, to be afraid of, of criticism or oblivion. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing.
3: Uh, so good. Um, this has been so great, Ken, and I, in a moment, we're just going to ask you to pray, to pray for those that are are listening and, and watching on <laughs> YouTube, if they're watching this, but, um, but I just, before that, I have one last question. I want to ask, um, if there was something you would encourage, uh, a younger leader, maybe a leader in business or a leader in the arts or medical and, or whatever they're called to being a, a young pastor that you would maybe tell your younger self, you would go, Hey, Ken, if you knew that if I could tell Ken, you know, 30 years ago, what, what would you What would you tell yourself? What would you tell that younger leader um, about their journey and give them some counsel?
0: Yeah, I would say uh, to a younger leader: uh, remember that uh, uh, this is going to be a, a long path, in all likelihood, you know, God willing. So, mm. so be patient with yourself. And I, I would mm. also say, and this relates to. Uh, the idea of the rule of life, and I'm I'm sort of paraphrasing uh, Dallas Willard, but organize your life so that you are experiencing maximum joy, contentment, and confidence in your everyday life with God. And and then I would also say, and this may be hard to imagine as a younger person, but remember that the greatest gift that you offer God and and the world is, is not what you do. What you do is really important, but the kind of person you become and, and and so allow Jesus to to transform you and make mm-hmm. you into a, a made in the image of God masterpiece that uh, he has created you to be and is creating you into.
3: Oh, that's awesome. So good. Well, I want to invite you to pray. And we just we believe, hey, this is the Spirit Empowered Leader podcast. And we're not just we talk, but we just believe that the spirit's going to encounter where if someone's on their exercise bike or or doing their morning run or listening to this in their car, um, that they would encounter the spirit. And, and as we talked about shame in the rural life and kind of your journey, would you just pray for us as the spirit leads you? And uh, and then we'll close. Sure. And, uh, yeah, right. go ahead.
0: Lord, I, I pray for uh, those that uh, are listening or will listen uh, to this conversation. and. They want to be shaped by your spirit and formed in love. I echo the words of the Apostle Paul. And I pray that out of your glorious riches, you will strengthen this person in their inner being so that Christ may dwell more Mm -hmm. fully in their hearts by faith. And I pray that as they are rooted and established in love. They would have power together with all of God's people across all time to grasp just how wide and how long and how high and how deep is God's love for them in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that they would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of you, of all the fullness of God that might overflow with the spirit of jesus and know his joy and radiate his light and love to the world Mm -hmm. in the name of the Mm -hmm. father the son and the holy spirit amen amen (laughs) amen Hmm. yeah
2: thank you so much for uh for sharing and for just being vulnerable and open and honest and it's just been such an honor having you uh for this conversation um, yeah, I'm just curious if you want to just take a moment and just share kind of about the books you've written and uh, just for anyone listening who'd want to just kind of glean a little bit more from the wisdom that you've been able to to walk in. Uh, if you just let us know about them, that'd be awesome.
0: Yeah, the first book is, is we've talked about God in My Everything and the, the subtitle is How an Ancient Rhythm Helps Busy People Enjoy God. And so uh, I know what it's like or I've known what it's like to to be a really busy person, both in the corporate world and as a pastor. And so this book is about rhythms that help support busy people so that they can become more aware of God in their everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Survival Guide for the Soul, how to flourish spiritually in a world that pressures us to achieve, is about practices that help us awaken to the love of God so that we don't base our worth in what we do as much as God's love for us. And then, Mm Now I Become Myself, how deep grace heals our shame and restores our true self. Uh, mm-hmm. Deals with uh, why we experience shame, explores how when we are unconscious of shame, it actually has more control over us and and the specific practices that um, can lead us into God's love in, in, in powerful, transformative ways so that we actually experience mm-hmm. God's love, not just know about it in our head, so that we can live with a greater lightness of being and show up to the world as our, our truest, uh, made in the image of God selves. Thank you. Um,
3: that's awesome. And those are all available on Amazon. Yeah. Right? They're yeah, all, Amazon, they're all any, over you can Google. Those, yeah. And um, again, so thankful. Thank you. This has been such a gift and a blessing. And we just am so thankful uh, for you doing this and taking time to be with us and have this conversation today. Thank you so much, Ken. And we, we pray such blessing over. Uh, your family and your ministry and all that God's doing in Vancouver.
0: Thanks, mm-hmm. Travis and Bless Donovan. You. It's been great to be with you and to be with your your viewers and listeners.
3: Oh, uh, that was a rich conversation with. Pastor Ken and uh, Donovan, I just, I so enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. And I think I could talk to him for another hour. Mm -hmm. Um, We're trying to keep these podcasts a bit shorter um, so we can, you can listen in one sitting, but (laughs) I, I just, there's so much there on shame so much on our journey of heart health. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know what I love is Mm -hmm. he he is his two books and maybe he purposely wrote them like this or his three books, but I feel like shame, the answer to it, is having good spiritual rhythms. And and like cuz cuz you mm-hmm. even said at the beginning of this whole uh, podcast you said it's funny how shame can get us to even control things or or we're not enough so we have to try to be enough. And can't that lead you down like workaholism yeah. and and you just want to work 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 and you got to be more and you got to do more because you're not enough. And and the answer to it is a rhythm. A rhythm of going I need a sabbath. I need to rest because you rest mm-hmm. Lord when you created the world and so I need to rest mm-hmm. I was created in your image and I need to rest and I need to mm-hmm. I need to pray and I need to have this this rhythms and even some of these prayers that are that are so um you know old that they're so powerful that that prayer that he prayed mm-hmm. and and I think of you know I think Leonard uh, Ravenhill said um there's three three images of ourselves: the one we think we are the one others think we are and the one God knows we are And that, that Mm -hmm. tour is the true self. And I think that true self, um, as I was, as I was listening Mm -hmm. to Ken comes out by the spirit of God, when we take time to rest, to pray and to come back to that Mm -hmm. trellis, those rhythms to go, okay, in the craziness of life Mm -hmm. and the craziness of the voices in my head, the craziness of leadership, God, you are who you say you are speak to me.
2: Yeah, and it's like letting his voice be what defines us and letting his heart be what we're running after. And I, I think of in Galatians, there's a passage that's quite uh, intense, but it's, am I trying to please God or man? If I'm trying to please man, I'm not a servant of Christ. And I often think of that in regards to like false self and true self, because it's like, who are we really living for? Whose glory are we really living for? Because I think there's that element of rest and And solitude and sabbath but there's also that element of like um walking out in our gifts and and moving into the areas that god's calling us to taking risks steps of faith all that sort of thing i think they kind of go hand in hand and it's like a, you know it's a constant kind of resting and going right and so um if we're led by his voice and if we're led by who he says we are and not living out of shame like then it kind of we can do those things with confidence with boldness and And that's like, truly how I believe we make the impact that God's called us to make.
3: Oh, so good.
2: But yeah, so uh, thank you, those of you who are listening, those of you who are watching. What an amazing uh, privilege it is, and honor to go along this journey with you in the Spirit Empowered Leader podcast. Uh, we'd love if you could help us out um, by sharing this podcast or others with uh, with people who might be impacted by it. Also, if you could leave us a review wherever you're listening to your podcasts, uh, that would help us out a lot too. And we really want this to be a conversation. So if there's any way that uh, or any questions that might have come up during these or any things that you think might be good to address either this season or in a later season, uh, feel free to send us an email or look at or just even leave it in the comments somewhere. We'd love to have this be an open conversation where we are uh, together going on this journey. And so if you want to know more about the Ministry of Resurgence, head to our website, liveresurgence.com. Lots of information there. And uh, we also have a newsletter if you want to Be notified whenever we release a new podcast. You can sign up for that there. But yeah, mostly we just want to say thank you. Thank you for being on this journey with us. And we look forward to where God is going to take us and you who are listening as we walk out and live out the things that we've been talking about. So bless you and I hope you have a great week.
1: Thank you for listening to the Spirit Empowered Leader Podcast. We hope that this podcast has encouraged you as an empowered leader. This podcast is brought to you by Resurgence Initiatives. Our mandate is to revive churches, release leaders, and reach people. We are on a journey, and the dream God has put in our heart involves you. Learn more at liveresurgence.com or on Instagram at liveresurgence.